Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, last week we found Jesus' soul being crushed in the Garden of Gethsemane. As a matter of fact, the term, the name Gethsemane meant place of crushing, where those olive oils were crushed. And we saw Jesus' soul and spirit being crushed by the weight of what was to come. But you know what? Jesus never questioned whether or not he was going to cover the sins of the world or not. What he was wrestling with in the garden was this. He was saying, Daddy, as hard as this is going to be, if there is any other way that we can accomplish your plan, let us please Make it that way because this is going to be hard. I don't know if I could do this, but nevertheless, not my will, Daddy, but your will be done. The reason I say Daddy is because he called him Abba Father, which means Daddy as well. So I know many of you, you have children, grandchildren, or children in your life. When they look at you and they plead with you, whether it be a doctor's visit or they're in pain or whether they need something, you know that it's serious. And so here we have God's son pleading with his father to find another way. But we know that there was no other way for this to happen. So in today's scripture, we see others being crushed under the weight of God's plan. So we saw in the garden Jesus being crushed, and now we see the pressure of the cross that's about to come. being It's, it's causing people to do things they wouldn't normally do. And so we all deal with the cringe and the crush of pressure, because a lot of times the reason we are being pressured is because God is squeezing us so that whatever is inside of us will come out. And hopefully that is something pleasing that can be used for His glory. But some of us will survive the crush, and some of us will succumb to it. But we all deal with the weight of our sin in this evil world. The crush is real, and the most important thing is how we respond to it. So before we jump into our scripture this morning, any timeline of Jesus from the time that he went to the garden to the time that he went to the trial and then the cross those in, those timelines uh, have been constructed over the years because you're taking different passages from different places in the Gospels. But what we know is the Jewish trial was opened by the high priest Annas, A-N-N-A-S. That's, he was, that was the opening of the high priest trial, but yet he refused to to rule, so he sent it down to his Brother-in-law, the Jewish trial was opened by Ananias, and then it moved to the full council called the Sanhedrin to hear the witnesses. And then that was all done at night, so they were trying to squeeze this thing through without having a whole lot of, of emphasis or people knowing about it. So then in the early morning session of the final vote, they condemned Jesus. And so with that set as a backdrop for our scriptures today, let us jump in, starting with verse 53 through 59. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. If you need a copy of God's Word, there's one in the pew in front of you. Or if you're watching online, you can click on the outline link there. But it says, They took Jesus to the high priest's home 
where the leading priests, the elders, and the scribes of the religious law had gathered. So all of these people, verse after verse, chapter after chapter in the New Testament that had something against Jesus, all the high-ranking representatives were there. It says in verse 54, Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard, and there he sat with the guards, warning himself, or warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priest and the entire council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But here's the frustrating part. It says they could not find any. And in verse 56, we see many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. And finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. And we need to read this carefully in verse 58. It says, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. That is the key. Made with human hands. The reason that is the key is because that is the lie that they are telling. And then it says, after that, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they did get their stories straight. So, what we see here in this passage, first and foremost, is that Jesus' trial was illegal from the start. The Jewish trials had specific rules and processes put in place to protect those who were being accused. But every one of those roadblocks, every one of those speed bumps, every one of those things they put into place for the sake of the accuser, they were obliterated. They paid no attention to them. Now, here's the thing, and you saw this a moment ago. Can you imagine being the prosecution trying to find any credible instances of Jesus Breaking any law? I mean, think about it. What if you were the one that had to accuse Jesus for the purpose of having him killed? Folks, he was sinless. He bore your sins and mine, and the only way he could do that was by never sinning. And so, what they knew was, is they could not get Jesus on the truth, so they lined up false witnesses. If they had Facebook, they probably would have posted something, a hashtag, a meme, a note saying, please give your comments below and let's come up with a good one. And so that's what they tried to do. And the thing is, if you notice here, all these false witnesses that they brought in, it said they couldn't even agree on what to say. Even the lies did not match up. It says in verse 59, but even they didn't get their story straight. The prosecution and false witnesses presented a false narrative as if it were truth. My friend, it doesn't matter what news channel you watch today. You have to listen with the filter of the word of God because all of them are doing the same thing. The prosecution and the false witnesses, they presented a false narrative again and said, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. In three days I will build another without human hands. And folks, let me tell you what. The most dangerous lie is the one that includes the element of truth. As I told you a minute ago, I pointed out the part that they added to that that was the lie. Lord Alfred Tennyson 
wrote in the poem, The Grandmother, he said, A lie that is a lie may be met and fought outright, but a lie that is partly the truth is a harder matter to fight. And that's what people do. They put enough of a lie into the truth to dilute everything. And so, folks, let me just tell you here. This is what Jesus actually said. Look in John 2, 19. Or you can look on the screen. Uh, it'll be up there as well in John 2, 19. It says, All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So you see, in the true sense, what Jesus was saying, he was speaking about himself, and he says, This temple, when you destroy it, it will be raised in three days. But no, that would not get him in trouble. So what they decided to do is add this temple made with human hands. So they basically turned Jesus in to a terrorist. A terrorist that wanted to deface and destroy the fine religious temple. That that was a crime. That is something that they could persecute him for. So they lied and they totally took out of context what he said to set him on trial as a terrorist. Folks, do not fall into the same trap of these religious leaders. Don't let your feelings or the false teachings of the day crush you into bowing down to the wrong idols and ideologies. A lot of these people didn't know the truth They just went along with what everybody else was saying. And there is a lot of that going on today. There's a lot of that going on outside the church. And there's a lot of that going on inside the church because people are wanting to spend too much time on the Twitter feed and not in the Word of God. Too much time in the opinions of the talking heads on their phones and on their screens and on their TVs and not what the Word of God says. So the second thing we see is that Jesus answers his critics But it made no difference. Jesus answered him, those critics that were putting him on trial, but it made no difference. But what we see here is that in verse 60, then the high priest stood up before the others. And just just a minute here, the fact that when the high priest stood up, that showed one big thing. It showed that that high priest was annoyed, that was agitated, because normally the high priest... Doesn't stand up. So he stood up in his chair and he was irritated and he asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. You see, Jesus remained silent. But could you imagine the defense that Jesus could have given? Jesus could have said, well, Thank you, Mr. High Priest, Your Honor, or whatever they called him. Thank you so much for allowing me to give me a chance to talk. I'd like to call some of my character witnesses to the stand. So uh, some of the people I would like to call to the stand would be this blind man that I gave sight to. And then after that, I have a leper that I healed from leprosy that he was condemned unclean, but now he's been determined clean. He's back with his family and worshiping in the temple. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to go ahead and pull my friend Lazarus here, whom I raised from the dead. I would like to put him on the stand. And also, there was a legion of demons that I cast out of these this man 
And I want to, and I put them into the pigs, but I'd like to call them because all of these people believe in my authority. Everybody from the people that were healed by Jesus to those that, those demons that were cast out by him. Jesus could have had a huge defense, but what did he say? He said nothing. Why in the world did he not say anything? Well, because it was prophesied. He was fulfilling prophecy. Because if you go back and you look at Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Jesus did not open his mouth at that point because it was prophesied and part of the plan that he wouldn't. So now let's go back to the second half of verse 61. Then the high priest asked him, just asked him point blank, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now, when the high priest addressed him like this, this was kind of like it was assumed it was if you were the person that was being accused this was like an oath that he was he was he was speaking, and you had to say something. So in verse sixty-two, Jesus said, "I am, I am." And if you remember, that sounds familiar. Back in the Old Testament, Moses said, "Who do I say sent me? Tell him I am sent me." He says, "I am." And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. That was in Daniel 7:13. By Jesus answering, I am, he affirmed the fact that he was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And when he followed it up by giving himself the title that's been used for him called the Son of Man, that was a nod to Daniel 7:13 which I just read, which gives emphasis as Jesus, as God's son, his his royalty and the fact that he is going to come back and he will be victorious. When Jesus was under the oath to speak, hopefully they, they wanted him to speak because they wanted him to say something so they could twist against him. But he essentially said, you now stand in judgment of me, Mr. High Priest, and all you illustrious men that are here. But one day... I will be the judge of you. That's what he was saying by that comment. So in verses 63 through 65, we see that Jesus is sentenced to death. The high priest knew that he had failed in proving Jesus guilty, so he depended upon theatrics. Let me just give you a life point before we read this next thing. Here's a a point you can take. When people start shouting or want to fight in an argument, it is usually a sign that they realize that they are losing. And that, that you can take that to the bank. Any leadership guru would tell you that. Anybody that's been involved in evangelism would tell you that if you're speaking with somebody and they start to get argumentative or agitated, you need to stop the discussion there because you don't want to burn the bridge that you might want to walk across later or you might want someone else to use later. But when people realize that they are losing, they start shouting and they get violent. How do we know that? We see in verse 63. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror. So he was grandstanding, folks. 
Oh, he tore his clothes. And he said, why do we need any other witnesses? In other words, he says, why do we need our legal system? We all know that he's guilty. You've heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserved to die. Then some of them began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. The same Messiah that they waved palm branches to just a few days earlier, they're now spitting upon him. And they have, have blindfolded him and they are hitting him. Now, I am not an expert in, in uh, interrogations and punishment, but I do know this. If he was blind, he would never see the punches that were coming. And if you don't see the punches that are coming, you cannot brace yourself to take those punches. So imagine nothing but darkness, a blindfold, and just feeling beat after beat after strike on you. After you have just been unjustly judged. The crowd that welcomed Jesus a few days earlier were now spitting on him. So we need to learn how to handle the crush. When, when pressure starts mounting on us, when things that are beyond our control start trying to control us, we need to learn how to handle the crush. And the first thing is, like Jesus did, and this is hard to say, but it's the truth. Remember, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We will reign with him one day forever. He is at the right hand of God and we will reign with him and everything will be glorious. But he was also a suffering servant. And he was spit upon and he was hit and he was whipped and he was crucified. So why do Christians think that we are exempt from persecution? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accepted humiliation and pain. We should do the same. So when we experience slander or ridicule or separation or mocking as being a Christian, my friends, if you get pushed back for being a Christian, you ought to thank the Lord for it because that means that there is something in you that people see that represents Jesus and they don't like it. And their problem, whether they know it or not, is not with you. It's with the Jesus that you serve. Don't be surprised if, not, if you're not going to be the most popular person. Don't be surprised if you may get passed over from a promotion because you don't go out with the boys or the girls and live the life that everybody lives. You might not get that extra whatever. But accept humiliation and pain accompanying the company's following Jesus. The second thing is, be more proactive in praising Jesus. As we were sitting here, and we're singing, Holy is the Lord. And we're talking about the fact that being death is resurrected. And we're singing these hymns. Jesus, at this point in the, ser- in the scripture, is being spat upon. He is being hit. And he is about to go through all of this horrendous treatment. So why should we not take a moment and thank him for what he's done and sing praises to him and lift up his name and read his word and pray to him and give him the glory that he deserves. And the third thing, be confident in your salvation. 
Look at all that Jesus had to endure for your salvation. For my salvation. My friends, the salvation, if you are a Christian today, the salvation that you enjoy, which was prompted by God Himself, if it was so easy to lose and so easy to doubt, would Jesus have gone through all of this to make sure you get it? The third thing is the crush of pressure will cause you to do the unthinkable. The crush of pressure will cause you to do the unthinkable. One of the most popular passages with Peter. Peter denies Jesus. It says in verse 66, Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. That's amazing. Now again, I'll give Peter credit. All the other disciples were gone. Peter was still, as we read earlier, following Jesus from a distance. So here he is. He's in this courtyard. And a little servant girl says, Hey, weren't you the guy with Jesus? The same disciple that walked on water. The same disciple that cut off a soldier's ear when they tried to arrest Jesus. The same disciple that said, I will never deny you, Jesus, is now being questioned by a little servant girl. And what does it say in verse 68? But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and went into the entryway. Then, oh, You're welcome for the sound effect. The rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, Yes, this, this is the man. It's definitely one of those disciples. Verse 70, but again, Peter denied it again. A little later, some other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Meaning you're from Galilee. But this time, Peter swore. He was using bad words. Peter swore. And he said, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. You want me to do it, don't you? Oh! Mm. I don't know which is worse. Because, you know, that, that, that rooster crowing is as bad as the sound effect that I made. Can you imagine being Peter and hearing that and then playing back in your mind, Jesus said that you will deny me and the rooster will crow twice. Suddenly, it says, suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. The sound of the the rooster crowing was not as heartbreaking as the words Jesus said before that when he said, 
you will deny me. Folks, let me just tell you this. Never, ever, ever take God's word lightly. I said this last week. I'll say it again. Never say never. Never say, oh, I will never do that. That is a comment of pride and depending upon oneself. And usually when you draw the line in the sand, that's the one that the devil gets you to cross. Peter did claim that he would not deny Christ, but when the other disciples ran, he followed at a distance, and his intentions were right. Peter really wanted to do the right thing, but he fell short. And it was not the crowing of the rooster that convicted Peter again. It was remembering Christ's words. That's why you and I need to read God's Word and let it penetrate our hearts to keep us from doing these things. And the thing, I'm happy to report this, is that Peter, even after his failure, Jesus loved him and restored him. Warren Wearsby says, while Jesus was on the way to Pilate's Hall, he turned and looked at Peter, and it was a look of love to be sure but injured love. With his heart broken, Peter went out quickly and wept bitterly. Yeah, it stinks, but sometimes we are injured by those that we love. Jesus was injured by Peter, but he still restored him. There is a significant contrast between Judas, who we talked about last week, and Peter, who was discussing this week. Both of them denied Jesus in one way or the other, but one was restored and one was not. Restoring Peter was important to Jesus. So after his resurrection, Jesus had a private meeting with Peter. We know that from Luke 24, verse 34. And then we know from John 21 that before Jesus is out of here for his ascension, he sits down, he has breakfast with the disciples. They had gone back to their boats. They had gone back to their lives. They had tried to to go back to their professional fishing. And then they meet Jesus. And then Jesus has supper with them. Um, on the beach, and then before he leaves, he asks Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? And it wasn't that Jesus was hard of hearing. He didn't stutter. He, rest- he asked Jesus, do you love me three times, to restore Peter from every single time that Peter denied him. And my friends, you may be here today and you may have denied Jesus. You may have felt him pulling at your heart. You may have had opportunity to stand for him and fallen like a cheap stepladder. We all have been there. But don't judge Peter. Examine your own life. Have you denied to stand up for Jesus and share the gospel with others? Peter at least was sorry for his sins and he wept over him and the Lord forgave him. The biggest thing that breaks my heart is there will be people in churches today that are in sin. They do not own it. They do not feel sorry for it. And they move on. And if you do that, you're in the same boat that Judas was in, my friends. Do you weep over your sins and shortcomings? Do you even acknowledge that they exist? And the crush of pressure causing you to do things that you said you would never do. Folks, Jesus restored Peter, and he can restore you. So if you are feeling the effects of the crush, 
Jesus wants to restore you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this worship service today. And Lord, this has been your word that has been shared. And only you can permeate hearts. But I do want to give an opportunity. If there is one person here or watching by way of our social media that would like to know you, Lord, may they respond either on social media to us or those that are here in this service. This may be the time where you're calling them and saying, I want to restore you for your denial. So if there's one person here that does not know you, Jesus, as their Savior, Lord, may today be today. Or many of them may be like Peter. They have denied you and they need restoration. Maybe someone may want to join this church or be baptized. As we sing, trust and obey. God, may you work. And may we, as we sing this, do what we're singing. Trust you and obey you, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?